0: The following podcast is a Dear Media production.
1: This episode is brought to you by Ritual. You guys know I'm a human guinea pig, and I'm still here taking Ritual and loving it. It's filled with iron, vitamin E, magnesium, folate, and omega-3 kind of everything. It's made in the USA without synthetic fillers. 95% of women do not get the vitamins and minerals they need on a daily basis. So Ritual created a smarter vitamin with the nine essential ingredients women lack most. Go to ritual.com slash skinny today to choose clean ingredients backed by science. Sign up now at ritual.com slash skinny.
2: I, as someone resisting it and speaking out against it, was threatened, threatened with legal action, threatened with criminal action. Uh, For 15 years, I was saying, this is insane. This doesn't work. I take these people off the opiates. Their pain goes away. By other doctors. They only would come to me when they also were aware that they were doing cocaine and drinking and doing other things on top of their opiates, which a lot of them did. And they were, oh my God, you're a terrible person. You're a drug addict. So I'd come and take them off everything. Their pain would go away or be maybe a four or five on a scale of 10. When they came in the door, they'd always say the same. Thing 15, 18, 20 on a scale of 10. Always they said the same thing. Take them off, pain goes away. And I was, I, when Keith Ledger dried, there's footage of me and Larry King going, This is a tsunami, you don't understand what's happening here in this country. And now people understand. Now people understand.
0: Boom, boom, boom. That clip is from our guest of the show, none other than Dr. Drew. This episode covers addiction, sex addiction, the opiate epidemic, celebrity rehab, recovery, and therapy.
1: Happy Tuesday, guys. Welcome back to the show. This week is Valentine's Day, and I cannot wait to see what Michael Bostick has up his sleeve for me. On Wednesday or Thursday.
0: Well, I'm going to flip it on its head. I'm all about empowering women, Lauren. And this year, I'm going to let you plan Valentine's Day, Mm -hmm. pamper me, (laughs) cater to me. Where's my flowers? Where is my woo? Where is my you know what?
1: (laughs) You know, I might get you a card because you're really about cards.
0: You know what? Scrap the card and uh, give me something that's more of the physical nature if you catch my drift. I do not need a card.
1: I screenshotted a bunch of things that I want for Valentine's Day and sent them to you on Instagram. So be sure you check that out. You know,
0: my DMs have been pretty slow lately, okay. so I don't know if I'm <laughs> right. going to be able to get to those in time.
1: All right. Uh, on this show, we had Dr. Drew. I feel like everyone knows who Dr. Drew is. He's kind of iconic.
0: Pro on the mic.
1: Pro, Pro on the mic.
0: It's been... It was interesting to watch because you could tell, like, sometimes you interview people and like, okay, this guy's maybe media trained. This person's done this before. This person hasn't done this before. This guy... He's done this before and he's done a lot.
1: Yeah, he gets in there. I mean, he did do Loveline. I feel like he he's done this many, many, many times. You could tell when we podcast with him. It's always nice to podcast with someone that really understands the art of podcasting. Um, for us, we just keep having to practice, 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 practice. But it is something that it kind of does have an art to it.
0: I'm gonna do that thing when I go to other people's studio. He was like gripping the mic and yeah. whipping it around with no care, he was holding doing it like whatever a he wanted.
1: Yeah, I liked it. I was into it. I actually read his book recently on vacation. I read the book Cracked. I highly recommend it. It's very, very good. And in that book, he not only talks about his patients, he talks about how it is to be a doctor on the other side. And it's so interesting for him to go into the feelings of a doctor. So often, I feel like we don't look at the feelings of a doctor. We look at them as so clinical. And so to hear um, how he perceives the patients is super interesting.
0: Yeah, a lot of this interview, well, not a lot, but a good majority of it was spent kind of asking him and grilling him what it's like to be on that other side, like Lauren said. And, you know, when you've seen the type of trauma that Dr. Drew's seen, you know, with addiction and families breaking up and all sorts of just dark sides of human nature. I mean, we were basically talking to him, that's got to take a toll at some point on an individual. And so we get into that with him as well as many other things. And it was just interesting to hear that perspective because we all see, you know, the celebrity rehab presentation, the love line presentation. We don't really get to see what it's actually like from his perspective, treating people with this type of trauma.
1: This conversation hops all over the place and he gives me some really good tangible advice. And I actually might be going to see a therapist weekly after this episode, I think that he shed some light on why it's so important to deal with trauma or guilt um, and you'll hear that all in this episode. Since this episode does have to do with mental health, I thought it was important to talk about mental health when it comes to social media. This is something that has taken me a really long time to understand. I was, you know, Instagram storing seven days a week, creating content seven days a week for years and years and years and years and years and then I sort of hit a wall and I realized that it's really important to to have days where you're just on blackout. And what I mean by that is take a day off social media, whether it's twice a month, some people do once a week, whatever it is. For me, it's twice a month. I just will do a blackout weekend and just completely be super present. And I found that that really helps with my anxiety. I don't know if there's fellow content creators out there that are listening or influencers. To be on 24-7 all the time, seven days a week can be super overwhelming. And I found that stepping back, taking a break, I call it a commercial break, And coming back on a Monday is super refreshing.
0: Well, and it's just like for your, not even just for that aspect of it, but for taking just basically disconnecting from technology, I think I'm going to go and get one of those burner phones, you know, the little like black ones that the sketchy people carry and it's you, you, you know, you can't really reach them. You know, they call them the burners. I want to get one of those and I want to take that and use that on the weekend. So if somebody like really needs to get to me for an emergency, I can use that. But if not, like just not having that phone, you know, taking some blackout periods, taking some time to reflect, self-reflect, that's really important, taking some time to read books, read articles, you know, whatever you got to do just to kind of get outside of that social media world is important.
1: This weekend, I reread part of Awaken the Giant Within by Tony Robbins. I listened to Robert Greene's book on tape. I read a lot of books on my books app. I'm obsessed with reading on my phone right now, which is probably pretty bad for you. But I finished uh, Anthony Kiedis' book, Scar Tissue. It was such a good book. You guys have to read it. And um, I meditated a lot and just really sort of refueled. I feel like I'm like a cell phone battery. I have to recharge or I'm not my best.
0: On that note, talking about mental health and stability. Let's introduce Dr. Drew Pinsky onto the show, commonly known as Dr. Drew. He's an American celebrity doctor who's board certified internist, addiction medicine specialist, and media personality. He's hosted the nationally syndicated radio talk show Loveline for years and years. He's also been on television for years. Most of you know him from Celebrity Rehab with Dr. Drew, Sex Rehab with Dr. Drew, Celebrity Rehab Presents Sober House, and more. He hosts a podcast with Adam Carolla, and many more things. With that, let's introduce Dr. Drew Pinsky to the Him and Her podcast.
1: Before we get into the interview with Dr. Drew, I want to talk to you guys about Noom. Okay, guys, accountability is something that you know I'm very serious about. You know this if you read my blog. I talk about it all the time. You know I like to count my steps. I I just like to see what I'm working with, you know, like clear in front of me. So especially with the new year, I think accountability is more important than ever, especially for me. So if you're looking to stay super accountable, in 2019, there's this app. I've talked about it before. It's called Noom. So basically, this is an app that has to do with accountability, but not dieting, so you don't feel restricted. You know what I mean? It helps you to sort of recognize and change habits that you have that are blocking your success. This app is really, really cool and streamlined because it helps with weight loss by having your own support team And you don't need a nutritionist or a personal trainer. It's all on the app. You have a goal specialist that's a nutrition expert and fitness trainer all in one. So it's all in the palm of your hand. If you're into food tracking, which I use to help me stay accountable, I like to see how much fiber I'm getting. Nothing to do with calories, but how much fiber I'm getting is really important to me. They have a food tracker and it has the biggest food database available. You can track your meal habits. You can see your portion sizes right in front of your face like I said accountability and then if you want you can also count your calories. Um, Personally like I said I'm very into the fiber count in my food. Noom also is a tool that you can utilize to teach you about moderation. Moderation is key. I am a big fan of you know adding more greens to my plate not subtracting and to see it all in front of me is super helpful. Basically what you do is you take an easy 30 second online evaluation that shows you how much weight you can lose. So I did it and it really. does take 30 seconds so uh, I mean I feel like everyone has 30 seconds just to try it out and see what they think Noom is designed for results meet your resolutions by signing up for your trial today at Noom that's n-o-o-m dot com slash skinny what do you guys have to lose visit noom.com slash skinny to start your trial today again that's noom.com slash skinny start losing weight for good all right now let's get into it with Dr. Drew this
0: is the skinny confidential him and her
1: We're just talking about millennials and and relationships with millennials and how it's different from your generation when you had to actually sit and talk to each other. Right.
2: And what I was saying was that uh, you don't hit the normal developmental milestones of asking people out going on dates finding girlfriends breaking up forming again doesn't happen it just you sort of hang out for a while i think pornography is a big diversion and some the eye of the tiger is sort of taken away a little bit and then you hit young adulthood and it's all kind of mysterious right and now you're supposed to kind of find a relationship and there's a lot of misfiring let's say can you of, give us specifics failure to launch. i can i there's one of the more common calls at the time we wrapped up, Love Line it was now about what three, four years ago, something like that. We were starting to get this call very commonly. Hi, my name is Joe. I'm 24 years old, 25 years old. Uh, I met this girl. She is the one. She is it. She's the girl of my dreams. I asked her out. We went out. Didn't work out at that moment. She was busy. You know, she had things in her life. She was busy, so she didn't want to really, you know, go any further. So we're now friends, and I've been waxing her car and cleaning her carpet and uh, doing her laundry for the last three years. And now it's time. Now it's time. I'm like, what time time for what? <laughs> time, time for her to step up and get in this relationship. It's time. It's been three years. Three years of stalking behavior. That's what that is, ladies. That is full-on stalking behavior. No matter how you characterize it. And I've heard that call every time I go on the radio, every time you know I'm talking, somebody will call in with some version of that. Now, some of the stalking goes on in social media, but a lot of it is in person masquerading as i'm just that nice guy i'm that friendship she is always with the wrong kind of guy and one day she'll see that i'm that that's stalking
1: what about on the other end with women do you I don't find that see, women, women stalking like,
2: men? No, no, I don't see... Well, that's more the online stuff. Michael kind of
1: stalked me before we got together, mm-hmm. so maybe he could like go through that course.
0: I didn't have social media, though. We um, met when we were 12, so I didn't... Back then... Yeah, you just,
1: you were nothing. a little stalky at 12, I feel like. Well,
2: that's sort of... But to be fair, a 12-year-old kind of don't have... This is the point. A 12-year-old doesn't have the social skills to do otherwise. Yeah, yeah. Right? So, he's just hanging on for dear life. You're supposed to have skills at 23 when you know when the girl goes, let's just be friends... Let's just be friends. I mean, let's just be friends. This is not going anywhere and move on, dude. And oh, no, no. Oh, no. Now, women will do the social media stalking a little bit, but and they may do it for too long. But it's not it doesn't feel so sinister. What and, other, and the girls are all like, he's the nicest guy. He's been cleaning my carpet. Yeah, he's right. Just yeah, my he's good friend. Oh, no, no. He's just my good friend. Yeah. Oh, no, no. Oh, come on now. The best of intentions. Come what other
1: now. behaviors Sheesh. that you see in millennials is problematic? It could be in relationships or just in general.
2: You know, it, it, I wouldn't. I don't. It's it, far be it for me to call any millennial behavior problematic because I don't know how it's all going to work out. But the one thing, you know, the the staying at home long, which you know, my generation, we were freaking tunneling out, yeah, like 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 gnawing our way out as fast as we could. There's no hurry. Which I noticed and, and and as a parent I kind of dig that I kind of like it and maybe it's my fault because I maybe I'm encouraging it in some level and
1: you have triplets
2: yeah yeah and they're 26 27 now 26 and um, and and on the other hand that's very smart economically. It's very smart, and, and they think of it that way, like, no, no, I'm not going to pay rent right now, and I got my own exit over here, and uh, you guys don't bother me that much. You're, you know, you're weird, your parents, whatever. <laughs> and, so, uh, and so on one hand, that may work out very well. Now, what's, what's concerning to me behind that is most of that kind of, I don't want to call it failure launch, that, that sort of delaying uh, autonomy is trying to find your sort of ultimate course, Like there's a rather than get a job and make money, it's trying to find sort of your ultimate expression of what you want to do. And on one hand, that is amazing, right? That's fantastic. On the other, it's like, uh oh, what if they never find it? And do they really understand how to make a living? And so that's, that's the only I thing go
0: through I this with that. my younger siblings. It's like they are like, well, "I got to find the perfect thing. I got to find yeah. my passion." I said, the way you find that is you go out and you—you you know,
2: you eat it's shit work, a while. You yeah, get work. Right. You well, but, but but here's the thing. Okay, the, how old are your younger for siblings?
0: Uh, they probably they're in their 20s, early 20s.
2: Yeah, and this this is the age group I'm talking about. And, and but they they will eat shit and they work really hard when they need to. Yeah, but they're just like finding the right spot and and then they run out of steam pretty quickly if that doesn't result in something
1: i notice there's too a lack of patience that's, i think that's what i'm talking yeah about. it's like they want it now yeah like we were kind of talking about in the relationships like you have access to everything at your fingertips and they want it now 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 mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. and it doesn't happen like that i mean you know look at your, your career has been like such a journey i You're told you i had me. read your book cracked
2: thank you for that it's I love such that a
1: good read you guys i think it's on the skinny confidential book club you have this to read my it my
2: favorite writing experience i wrote that with judith Regan, and uh, we had a really—I I don't know—people hear the story, but it was really experienced. People wanted me to write a narcissism book at that point, and I wrote sort of a treatment that somebody helped me with. And Judith calls me; she goes, "Let's have lunch." I go, "Okay." And she had the treatment sitting on her on her table the whole time we we're having lunch. She didn't say one word about it. At the end of lunch, she goes, "What's this?" And I go, "Some—you know—she goes, 'You know she goes, you did not write that.'" I go, "No, I—somebody helped me." I she goes, "I want you to write something." I go, "What?" She goes, "I don't know. Write me twenty pages." And so I went out with a tape recorder running. And a story emerged about that main character just came out of me. I went home and I wrote it down, I transcribed it, and she goes, that's your book. And she gave me the only direction that she gave me for the next six months was, Keep writing,
1: and she also did Janice's book. I think
2: she's genius. She's yeah. a freaking genius. I'd well, never been in a creative process like that, and she was so interesting. And nine eleven happened right in the middle of it, and I oh for God. about four months I couldn't write a word. It well, was the whole
1: book was so vulnerable. Mm. I mean, you opened up as a doctor. It, you, you normally you would expect that book to be all about addiction and the addict, but you opened up the other side of the doctor, which was. I mean, eye-opening, what doctors go through yeah. when they're dealing with an addict. Yeah, Can yeah. you sort of well, give us Well, that's what I
0: want to get into with you behind because you've the seen scenes. so many, I don't want to say horrific, but you've seen so many traumatic life experiences. Yeah, yeah. You're, it, that you're that has to have an impact.
2: It has an impact, but you're, you, you get uh, spun and turned upside down by addicts, and your job is sort of to hold the line and stay present. As I sort of um, do less and less of that work and look back at it, I see the importance of the team I had. I, you know, the guys you see, cracked is eventually it became celebrity rehab. And the and Bob Forrest, the guy with the hat and the glasses, love him. and yeah, I love him. and uh, Shelley, and these are people I worked with every day. I used to
0: watch that show, and I don't watch a lot of TV, but I watch it that was bit, show.
2: It, we did what we intended to do, which was to pull the curtain back on how tough this work is, and celebrities that are out getting treatment are so ill and working so hard, and they're not on a publicity campaign, they're not on a spa vacation. Yep. We got so sick of that because we were treating celebrities, and we'd see the press about them no one ever knew we were but the press was just ridiculous I mean, and Bob it was actually Bob Forrest who came in one day and said we got to a TV show where we we show this I'm like okay if you think so and I was a big Guns N' Roses fan so watching Stephen you know, yeah Stephen that was that's, Steven. that was difficult to watch he's doing great he's doing great now. he's fantastic yeah. and, and I the ones that aren't didn't do great and passed away I hope people now understand that's the opiate crisis I got them off the opiates and then my peers would put them back on and then they would die, every single one. It was so heartbreaking, that's kind of why I got backed off the field, because I got sick of that, I couldn't stand it. And so wait, wait the,
0: walk, that through, walk, walk me through that, so you you would help so them Jev, get off the opiate? Jeff
2: Conway had back problems, all the usual oral opiate problem. it makes pain worse. Okay. And he was taking massive amounts of all kinds of stuff, and I get him off it, he literally, if you go back and watch Liberty Rehab, he tap danced, he had such little pain, he was up tap dancing. And, of course, when he left us, he went back to his doctor. And, you know, an addict will come back and go, oh, I have pain, I have pain. The doctor went, why'd you come off this stuff? Why, why didn't you listen to me? Go back on it, dead. And yeah. same thing with Mike Starr, same thing. He called me, he's having back pain. I said, Mike, please, God, we got him sober. He was living in a sober living for years, and he was just doing better than he'd ever done in his life. And he called me one day, and he goes, I'm having back pain. I said, Mike, whatever you do, do not tell a doctor that you have back pain. Do why why are it. we
1: seeing such an increase in opiate addiction?
2: You guys don't understand this. You go read a book called Dreamland by a Dreamland. Guy named, by a guy named uh, Sam Quinones. Okay. It it we a 95% of the 90% of the opiates pri- prescribed on earth are prescribed in this country. What's what happens to these
0: doctors because we you know, we we grew up in San Diego and I don't remember the name of the doctor. I, mean, I don't maybe I don't even want to press him the out Doctor
1: Dr. Feelgood we call him them. Yeah,
0: but he was basically known for prescribing opiates to basically anyone so that walked in. You understand that
2: there was a philosophy uh, that that I, as someone resisting it and speaking out against it, was threatened, threatened with legal action, threatened with criminal action. Uh, for 15 years, I was saying, this is insane. This doesn't work. I take these people off the opiates. Their pain goes away. By other doctors. I take them. They They only would come to me when they also were aware that they were doing cocaine and drinking and doing other things on top of their opiates, which a lot of them did. And they were, oh, my God, you're a terrible person. You're a drug addict. So I'd come and take them off everything. Their pain would go away or be maybe a four or five on a scale of 10. When they came in the door, they'd always say the same thing. 15, 18, 20 on a scale of 10, always they said the same thing. Take them off, pain goes away. And I was, I, when Keith Ledger dried, there's footage of me and Larry King going, this is a tsunami, you don't understand what's happening here in this country. And now people understand, now people understand. And Finally. also
1: what I see a lot of too, and, and tell me if, if you see this as well, is a lot of women on Adderall.
2: Yeah, Adderall's the, your next problem. Benzodiazepines, Adderall, Xanax, sleeping pills. That's a big problem. That's why people die on opiates. It's the combination with that. It suppresses their respiration synergistically. But the Adderall is a, a story yet to be told. Adderall is how my patients go out again. In other words, patients who are sober for a long time, they're trying to work hard. They're you know, working long hours. They're having trouble focusing as all addicts do. They go to a doctor and say that. And the doctor goes, Oh, I've got a perfect thing for you. Here's some Adderall. And uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman Who died of his heroin addiction yep. There was a bottle of Adderall on his bedside I guarantee you that's how the whole thing started
1: So why uh, women are using this as a weight loss supplement Can you speak on that?
2: Mm, it's amphetamine it's The name of the, the Adderall's generic name Is dextroamphetamine
1: But it fucks with your hormones And it in the end you just end up gaining weight And I can I can tell by someone's face if they're on it, it mm. There's something that sucks the life and, and And water out of their Am- face
2: Amphetamine
0: I had a buddy, my, my, one of my best friends, when we were when we were in college. We, he took it for studying, and he went oh, home wow. to get a summer job at a construction site. And during this, they, they drug test you, right, to make sure that mm-hmm. they're not hiring addicts. Mm-hmm. And he tested positive for amphetamine, mm-hmm. and he's like, "What the hell is you. going on?" His dad gets in and his dad's like, "You're on you're on meth. What's going on?" He didn't realize it's the Adderall. Mm-hmm.
1: So, uh, so if someone is out there listening, and maybe they are struggling with some kind of addiction, where would you tell them to start?
2: it depends on how sick they are and whether they detox things like that the easiest thing always to do is go to a 12-step meeting raise your hand say i need help are there doctors in the area they they will know at the meetings where the good resources are so and uh, there's about to be what's called a Cochrane analysis relief which is the highest level of uh, meta-analyses of clinical studies to show how effective 12 steps are and how evidence-based they are so it's if you're gonna if you want to get off drugs that is free and effective, and if you're looking for resources, people that are struggling with their sobriety, they know. They so,
1: know. do people call you all the time telling telling you that they're struggling with addiction, uh-huh, and you recommend kind of... they go to twelve step? Uh,
2: well, it, I mean, it depends what I'm dealing with. I mean, usually there are people that are way down the line and need to go away for something.
1: And so. and what about the family? We kind of spoke on this before we got on, but it, it, do you recommend Al Anon to yes, people? Yes, one hundred percent. One hundred percent. Okay, and just, and, and, if anyone uh, doesn't know what that is, can you explain what that is? It's
2: another 12-step meeting for family members of addicts. And it's the craziest thing. People, I, and I would, you know, for years, this was the, the, the experience I had. I'll do anything for my son. I'll do anything. I'll do anything. I go, great. I, stay out of it. I got him. I need you to do one thing. Go to Al-Anon. I'll do anything. What, what do you want me to do? Go to Al-Anon. Well, no, no, I don't need that. Anyway, what do you want me to do? I mean every time every time why is that what's the resistance because to people it? don't want to realize they're a part of the game part of the thing and the, uh, the, because and, they and, don't
0: want to realize their role and like maybe enabling right. or, well
2: and also that they're they they want it to be that person's problem they've suffered enough and they don't want to have to do any work i don't blame them they, 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 that's, that's all true uh but the reality is that if you have a loved one with addiction it's an interpersonal disease you are in it too and you wouldn't have to get treatment necessarily in your life if you didn't have that person in your life that you were involved with but you do and if you're going to do what you need to do to help that person, you can either get out of their life, you can do that, you can leave with love, or you do Al-Anon. And you, that will change the way you... you got to have other people in your corner in order to understand how to manage that person. Because particularly as a parent or a loved one, every instinct you have is wrong when it comes to dealing with a drug addict.
0: So, in all your experience, you know, like people say, "Oh, you gotta let them hit rock bottom." That's easier said than done.
2: You can't do it as a parent. It's it's so against every instinct you have. You just can't do it. You cannot do it by yourself. There's no way. You can't sit there and watch. So, that Alanon happen. helps you. Alanon helps you do that because they they have been there. They've been through it, and they help you do these things that are so difficult. So difficult.
0: You know what I want to talk about fentanyl there's mm. a lot of people right now like that are it's terrible it's wiping people out and i know a lot of
2: people that you know have you're more likely to die of a fentanyl overdose or opioid overdose right now than a, a car accident and
0: what's happening oh yeah gosh. that's crazy and what's happening is
2: people are lacing this stuff into other stuff like people i know maybe
0: people think they're doing cocaine Xanax, and you don't realize
2: cocaine it's in all kinds of stuff and next thing
0: you know you're having a heart
2: attack or you're you're, or you're, you're dropping dead you're dropping dead you're not and you don't
0: even breathing. know you don't even mean to do that correct This conversation is getting intense. Let's cool down, take a quick break, get a little focus. I myself am taking this Four Sigmatic mushroom focus shot by one of my favorite Finnish companies, Four Sigmatic. So we've talked about this brand multiple times on this show, but I really want to tell you guys why I love these products the most and why Lauren loves them too. So how many of you are out there drinking coffee, feeling the jitters, getting headaches, having bad come downs, not being able to sleep at night? Trust me, you're not alone. I'm in that boat as well, and I've been in that boat. That was before I discovered Four Sigmatic, and they're beautiful, great tasting mushroom elixirs. My favorite, and the one that I got turned on to first, was the mushroom coffee. When I sat down and I looked into this, I said, What the hell is mushroom coffee? Does it taste like mushrooms? Is it gonna make me sick? Why am I gonna be drinking mushrooms? And then I kept hearing more and more about it. I tried it and I could not believe the effects. I had no jitters, no come down. I had the same effects that coffee gives me. Woke me right up, kept me focused. And then I discovered the rest of the line. They have the Chaga mix, which is for wellness. They have their Rishi, which is for winding down at night. And I just fell in love with the products. Lauren fell in love with them too. She takes the hot cacao mix right before bed. Give her a little bit of that in her hot tea. Make her fall right to sleep if she's getting on the old nerves. So I want to talk a little bit more about the benefits of mushrooms. Mushrooms are all natural. They support... Productivity, focus, and creativity, and they're perfect for kickstarting your day. If you need that break from coffee, which we all need from time to time, this is the product for you. There's a perfect substitute. And right now, for a limited time, they're offering 50% off their entire site for their winter sale. I think they only do this once or twice a year, once in the winter, once in the summer. So you can get 50% off all of their products online right now. I highly recommend the Chaga Mix, the Mushroom Coffee, and the Focus. If you're going to start in just one place, definitely try the Mushroom Coffee. Very easy to use. They come in individual usually packed packets that you can just pour into hot water, stir with a spoon. Very simple. can make it about two minutes. So to try Four Sigmatic, go to foursigmatic.com. That's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com slash skinny, and then use promo code skinny for 15% off. And really, guys, try to take advantage of it now, because until the 17th of this month, there's a 50% off sale completely site-wide. So check it out. Go to foursigmatic.com slash skinny, and enter a promo code skinny for 15% off, plus that 50% off sale that's taking place right now until the 17th. Guys, I'm telling you, this stuff is a game changer and you will thank me later.
1: So let's talk about mental health a little bit okay. can, can we dive into depression mm-hmm. and anxiety in this day and age
2: and also uh, you wanted to talk about women and white wine oh we're going to talk about women, <laughs> women and wine. And, and well, I, I asked him before you guys we're gonna need we're gonna need a little bit more time
1: yeah <laughs> women and wine we got to talk about that too that's right. on the list too yeah. right. so so does depression and anxiety this is, is it's kind of like the chicken or the egg like does that come before the addict gets addicted or after the addict well, gets addicted it, it, or does it depend
2: this, it depends it's not A universal thing it it, what I always tell people is that you have if you have bad enough addiction that you need to see me again this is not all addicts these are severe addicts I I treat severe addicts there's a hundred percent probability you've had childhood trauma so trauma is the thing that causes the emotional dysregulation. Depression can be part of it, anxiety part of it, but it's really unregulated emotions, too prolonged, too intense, too negative that causes them to look outside of themselves for a solution. And if then you have the gene for addiction, now you trigger a second problem. So now you have trauma and addiction and the and the the were and the drugs work to, to quell the pain of trauma. And to people will say, I've, "For the first time in my life I felt okay. I, the voice, you know, things things were all right. I could manage. I felt okay." And then the addiction gets triggered. So now you have two problems. So, oh. yeah. And so, so, tr- and and by the way, once you trigger the addiction, no matter the inciting influence, until the addiction is treated, you can't really go after the other stuff. In other words, or let's put it this way more firmly: treating the other stuff will not stop the addiction. So you've
0: buried the trauma and triggered the addiction, and you've mm-hmm. basically created two problems. You're fighting a war on two fronts. Correct.
1: Yeah. Women and wine. So I I just, I see so many moms have like mom juice and mm-hmm. like it's a, like it's funny and stuff. And, and I talk about my wine all the time. But I do see, and one of my friends, her, her name is Kara from The Champagne Diet. She did a whole podcast <laughs> on this. <laughs>
2: well, listen, I, I'm not the don't drink, don't do drugs guy, right? Right. I, I don't bum people's high. I don't care. You people, like a
1: margarita? Oh, sure. Okay. I,
2: I look, well, I, listen, these people use substances. That's part of the human experience. But... I'm interested in people that can't stop and want to stop. That's who I want to help. But we're having consequences from their using and yet keep using. So that's the group I'm interested in. So you got to look at yourself and go, hmm, first of all, do I have a family history of alcoholism? First, grandpa, mother, anybody in my family with alcoholism or even hint to look like alcoholism? Because oftentimes families go to great lengths to hide those things, Right. Uh, or and by the way, the alcoholic will go to a great lengths to have anything besides alcoholism, depression, suicide, whatever it is. They'll they'll want treatment for everything else. Just don't take my alcohol away. So you got to look at your family history very critically. And if you have a first degree relative, it's about a fifty percent probability you got that gene. And if you like, 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 if you like, like it, alcohol, like you love it, hmm, you got to be really careful. Now I'm not saying you can't drink. I think that's a little unrealistic. But you got to be careful not to trigger something. Which the, the triggering what are those is, triggers? Well, the triggering is you lose control, and you know we don't know where that biological threshold is for a given individual. But if you start having consequences, like relationships are affected, you know your health is affected, and that you keep going, it's like, hmm, be careful, be careful.
0: That's it's a good. hard thing to watch. No kidding. And I don't have to tell you that, and yeah. it, and you feel you helpless. know it's, you
2: feel helpless because you, you are, are you are and that's the horrible thing it's you are for the most part and uh, it's it's very painful
1: why did you decide to get into addiction total accident yeah. how
2: i was i'm an internist i was gonna i was going on to be a cardiologist but i started moonlighting in a psychiatric hospital and i got fascinated with that and so i just sort of stopped at primary care and critical care medicine and then kept doing this stuff at the psychiatric hospital and then i ran their medical services And then all the medical problems were down on the drug unit and i got really good at taking people off drugs didn't know a damn thing about addiction but i was hanging out there all the time and i started learning about it and then the uh the director of the program said you know listen i need an assistant director no big deal you'll just cover me when i'm on vacation Uh, it's no big deal just kind of hang you know okay now i'm the assistant director of a drug unit i started learning more and more and more and then about a year later this guy quit now I'm the director of a drug unit. And as an internist, particularly back then, that was like 1991. Very unusual job for an internist to have. And so I just hung on to it with both hands, got all my my training and board certifications, and really made it my uh, something I learned about it. And uh, it was a great experience. I mean, it was really the crossroads of everything. Family therapy, biology, neurobiology, psychiatry, medicine. It's all there in the addiction field done properly. And so I really enjoyed it. And I did it for 25 years.
1: And so what is it like when when a patient comes to you to detox? uh, Because we see in movies like people sweating and shaking and throwing up. I mean, is that really true? Is it that gnarly to detox?
2: It depends what you're detoxing from. I mean, alcohol is the one that's fatal, potentially. Uh, Opiates are the ones that's tough. Now with things like suboxone and methadone stuff, people don't often go through withdrawals anymore even, or they don't go the kind we used to go through. Benzodiazepines are miserable, and a lot of doctors don't really understand how to detox people properly, so they do go through a lot of misery. But we never had any—we were so good at detoxing people. We, I never once thought to myself, how are we ever going to get people off these drugs? We can't do it. It's like, we got everybody off everything. No problem. No problem. That's why I sort of was not a super fan of suboxone, which is this— Tape, You know, supposedly to taper people off drugs, But then again, people have withdrawal. So they stay on it. It's like, get them through the withdrawal. It's so easy. We never had a problem with that. And we had lots of severe, severe heroin addicts.
1: What what about um, the jail system or the prison system? Do you see people going to prison and actually getting sober from prison? Or do you see them Well, not
2: usually. Not sometimes worse. But a lot of people, you know, getting people's attention and into recovery is often about cumulative loss, right? Lose your kids, lose your health, lose your relationships, lose your job. Losing your freedom is a pretty powerful, mm-hmm. uh, motivator. And so a lot of people do find sobriety in prison, but I'm mixed on it. You know, have I you mean, been
0: following the Artie Lang stories? Have you been following I know the Artie very well. You know, Artie, yeah, I imagine that's intense because you, you know, he almost, he almost did lose his freedom there for a minute. Might've helped him. You think? Maybe.
1: You know who it helped? I just read Ryan O'Neill, Farrah Fawcett's ex-husband mm-hmm. or boyfriend's book, and he talked a lot about his son, Redman, and how Redman ended up in jail, and supposedly now he's out and he's sober. So that's someone that it did help. Mm-hmm. My sister- Bob Forrest. Yeah. Bob
2: Forrest was- a, Yeah. He, he was treated 24 times. It was a prison that really got his attention.
1: Wow. Yeah wait so is, is he is he a celebrity i feel like i've seen him somewhere besides celebrity he, rehab. he
2: was a rock star a in rock the 80s. star yeah okay he, he looks he got familiar. A, there's a documentary about him called bob and the monster
1: who was your favorite patient out of celebrity rehab who was who was your one that you it's look like, at and you're it's so like, proud it,
2: well proud and favorite are two different things right you know i'm proud of jenny ketchum right we treated her in sex rehab and it turned out she was addicted to a bunch of other things she's now a social medical social worker up and doing clinical work up in washington she's Unbelievable. Unbelievable! This is like a, a new human being and a professional and all, you know, she was a porn star and a drug addict and all that shit she went through. She uses in her clinical work and she's amazing. Favorite, probably Jeff Conway. I don't know Ooh. why I love Jeff. I love Jeff. Okay. And so him, his, I was at his bedside when he died. and It was really rough. And so. Let's uh, talk about sex addiction. I don't think a lot of
0: people. I think that word is thrown... Yep. People just throw it around. Addiction, I, yep. I cheated on somebody. Oh, fuck, I'm, I'm a, I'm a oh, sex no.
2: addict. No, no.
0: And a lot of people, you know, we've just seen this whole movement go through here and in Hollywood. Like, yeah. people, oh, I'm a sex addict. What do you think about all that?
2: Well, I mean, sex addiction... It's a fully loaded question. Yeah, right? there's a great website called Center for Healthy Sex if you want to sort of look on what's available and what that is. Learn about it. But real sex addiction, when you see it, there is no mistaking it. I mean, people... Literally, like their genitalia are bleeding. You know what I mean from the stuff they do to themselves. Oh, oh yes. Or, or like having pyronies and horrible things. And, and I'm going to pull
0: that clip from Lauren's face and just said that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and, and or and, wah, wah. Yeah, gonna, quick zoom in. Yeah. Yeah. And or horrible social consequences, or horrible emotional, horrible disease. I, I mean, it's just and 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 the crazy thing about it when when you sit down and you get them into treatment, they'll always say the same thing. All I and these are people that maybe with hundreds of people in the last few months will always say the same thing. I just want to have a relationship. They just don't know how to how to how they to. They
0: don't. They're missing the emotional connection. The frame. Just, they can't
2: get in the frame. They're of, just doing the physical. They can't get in the frame, which is trauma. And yeah. When people, it's a, it's intimacy disorder. And
0: so, so what about everybody else that's just you know maybe they're not an actual addict. They're like oh I got in trouble here. Yeah, I'm a sex addict. Get,
2: get your shit together, a hole. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so is Tiger Woods a sex addict? Uh,
2: you know, dancing I'm, around it. Yeah, careful here. Uh, he w- let's put it this way: he because I treated Rachel, you could tell. Uh-huh, right? I remember I, I, that. I, I know oh, some yeah. stuff that you know I can't really talk about. Uh, and I would just frame it this way: you can't admit somebody to a treatment program unless they meet criteria for the disease they're being treated for. There, there's there are state regulations. There's professional regulations. So if you have a addiction treatment program and you somebody now they could be entered for assessment to see if they have an addiction but he was in treatment and if you're in treatment and there's an issue you have to meet criteria or the program will get shut down by the state you can't just make everybody everything
1: how many porn stars do you see that have sex addiction and or addiction
2: I, I don't see a lot of them I mean the you know Mary Carey treated her treated Jenny Ketchum and so I that's my experience, you know. I'd Jenna
1: Jamison, I follow her on Instagram. She just got sober, and she do, she's, like, really killing it. She... Does she
2: see herself as a sex addict now?
1: I don't know. She's never mentioned that she, on Instagram.
2: She, you to, you to, I mean, I've known Jenna for years and years and years, and she's a, really an, a dynamic person, right? And you ought to ask her. She probably, she'd probably... She needs you. to
1: come on the show. Her and Janice, Dixon, Janice Dickinson. I'll
2: grab Janice. Janice is another favorite, by okay. the way. How, can you
1: tell us about Janice? Because I'm obsessed. Well, before
0: right. you know, like, you know how we got you on the show is because our, our good friend Dave, our mutual friend, who? he said, Dave, yeah, who? exactly.
2: Oh, is he the guy that would not invite me on the cruise that you invited me on the second I met you? Yeah. Is it that
0: guy? Yeah. See, we thought, we're like, listen, who, we're like, we got to fill the boat. Like, Dr. Drew wants to come. We're going to have you come psychoanalyze uh, all of us I, on the I, boat? I, I am
2: so. I, I he. Uh, she's no longer my friend
1: yeah you were supposed to go on the yacht with us like, oh my
2: god don't there say was that a lot guy. of
1: drinking though I don't know how you uh, would have felt I've about that right. uh, okay. yacht you guys have, why
2: don't you guys have fun
0: <laughs> we, might be, we might be having a whole different interview if you but went on that time, boat. next, next one. next, next one. one. Okay, so one. Next so
1: blew I, it. I want to know about Janice Dickinson because I loved her books and she talks about you and her books and yeah. she's sober now and yeah, I would she's... love to hear about her journey because she's at clubs or Studio 54 drinking with the best of them and now she lives a completely different life
2: she is a wonderful human being as you might imagine she, I think the way I got, she was, used to come on Loveline back in the day. And I remember one time I met her in the aisle at like an American Idol final or something. She goes, I got a Xanax problem. I got yeah, help me, God, help me, help me, help me. And then nothing. And then she came in at celebrity rehab and we got her off Xanax, I think it was Xanax at the time. And she had a horrible withdrawal and it was miserable. And she was had recrudescence of horrible symptomatologies. And then she got involved in the program, and she did really great. And she has horrible, horrible trauma, right? She told me about that Bill Cosby incident uh, during treatment. Uh, really? Yeah.
1: Yeah, she and didn't talk about that in her she book. She
2: didn't use his name. She was so she was open about, about being about
1: molested by her father mm-hmm, in her book. Mm-hmm. And, and and the That's horror the trauma. that he put her through. I mean, she, right. was, uh, she was open in her That's book. That's the trauma. She didn't talk about Bill Cosby, but it came out later about him. So mm-hmm. it sounds like she was put through the ringer.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, Janice, and, and he wasn't the only one. He had other people. She had other people that mistreated her, and that's what happens when you're a trauma survivor. You start to you unnaturally uh, attracted to and trusting of people that uh, reenact the traumas of the past.
1: Isn't How- there something so special for you though to be able to sit back and see all these people that you've helped and they're thriving in their yeah. life and sober now? Yeah,
2: but but I, as one of my my patients always humble me. One of my some of my toughest cases, will go you didn't, you didn't do anything. You just sort of turned me in the right direction, and they're right. They do the work. They how, do the, I'm how do you just compartmentalize there all
0: of this? Because for someone someone that's in your position, you're hearing about some of the worst forms of human behavior. A lot of times you're learning about the it's, trauma. How it, do you...
2: It, it, well, a lot of my own therapy, right? right? Years and years and years and years of my own you therapy. You going and seeing uh, your own yeah. person. Oh, yeah.
1: Guy or girl? Girl. Okay. And
2: which I think for the stuff I needed was critically important. I, I had a sort of a deficiency in the rapprochement phase of my relationship with my mother, which is the kind of going and coming awful. And a, a healing my own stuff put me in connected to my own feelings in a much more vivid way and helped me draw a line between my feelings and another person's feelings, right? So I can I got very, very good. This was my main instrument was being present with another person listening with my whole body feeling what they were feeling. Not not, not in a contagious sense In my own understanding that my own stuff was sort of meshing blending with theirs and we were co-creating an experience but i could knew that it, everything i was experiencing is when i sit with somebody that's been through some horrible stuff it's not all mine i, I understand theirs versus mine because i deeply understand my own stuff now and it you're not overtaken by it you're not overcome by it you're just a witness to it do you and, and that's a very powerful experience mm-hmm. right yeah do you find yourself having
0: a negative outlook over on just like human beings in general no or? i'm super positive you are okay mm-hmm
2: super positive
1: so so we talked about depression and anxiety what about uh, other disorders like well bi-
2: we didn't really talk about depression and anxiety you, okay, you asked me a little, depression, yeah, a with little. Addiction. what do you want to know about depression and anxiety? i have depression and anxiety
1: do, uh, do you th- okay do you? my question i have I have, a, I have anxiety yeah i don't i, I don't think too. that i have depression i think i have anxiety did you ever um,
2: have a depressive episode like when you were a teenager or anything
1: before we talk about mental health, let me tell you about Ritual. If you're a listener of this podcast and you haven't tried Ritual vitamins, you guys are missing out. I have been taking them for the last eight months every single day. They're by my tongue scraper and I am a big believer that they've made my hair and nails thicker and they look really cute when they're next to your tongue scraper. They're not like ugly vitamins. You know what I mean? You guys know what I mean. I took about six years to talk about vitamins on the Skinny Confidential. I was super particular and really vetted the brands just like I vetted my deodorant brand to find one that really worked that I could recommend and feel good about. It was one that I had to try before I recommended it and so here we are with Ritual. This is a vitamin that I keep going back to. It's one I keep talking about. I've talked about it on the blog, my Instagram, Instagram stories, kind of all over the place. So I'm a vitamin snob, as you can tell. I just feel like it's it's very, very important to vet your vitamins and know exactly what you're dealing with. What I like about Ritual is if you go to their site, everything is completely streamlined. So it, it's not like you have to like do all this digging and Google all this stuff. It's everything you need to know about the vitamins. Immediately, you can see that they have no nausea capsule design, so you're not going to like have burps or want to throw up. It's vegan-friendly, gluten and allergen-free, non-GMO, and there's no colorants or synthetic fillers. And I think that's really important to know what you're taking every day, right? So you're not just taking something blindly. You've done your research and you're being your own wellness guru. Some of the benefits that you can expect are, like I said, hair and skin and nails. I noticed that immediately. It fills in the gaps to your diet. So maybe you're feeling low on energy or you need immunity. The vitamin supports red blood cells. We love this. Bone integrity and it helps your body maintain tissue structure, which is great when it comes to aging. You know that I'm all about healthy aging and keeping that youthful glow. Ninety-five percent of women do not get the vitamins and minerals they need on a daily basis, so Ritual saw the gap and created a smarter vitamin with the nine essential ingredients women lack most. Go to Ritual.com/skinny, choose clean ingredients backed by science. Sign up now. Ritual.com/skinny. All right, now let's get back to the show. I didn't my mom committed suicide when I was 18 so depression does run in my family and I think and you
2: weren't after that depressed
1: I mean I, I was horribly sad and devastated mm-hmm. and I would say I was depressed but it wasn't depression or it was it, I was, it was grief it was grief okay but so I'm I think I'm also very um, preventative in, in allowing myself to get there maybe.
2: Get into the grief?
1: Yeah. No, get into a depressed state.
2: You wouldn't you wouldn't let yourself get there. I
1: do a lot of preventative measures to try okay. to like I work out every day. Okay. I do things that are very preventative. Mm-hmm, so I don't sure. have to ever get there. Mm-hmm. But I struggle with anxiety. Um I know Me too. a lot of people struggle Me. with anxiety.
2: Me. I had panic attacks when I was nineteen, twenty. So Horrible, do you, how disabling do you deal panic with that? attacks. How do I deal with anxiety? For, for me, therapy was a key piece. Uh, but I think part of my anxiety, anxiety is many, many different things, right? And part of it is a genetic thing, right? We're sort of set up for it. It uh, overlaps in some situations with obsessive compulsive disorder. I don't know if you have any of that stuff. I, yeah, I got a bit of that too. And they do tend to kind of dovetail together. And uh, you're,
1: Well, he, he says he makes fun of me. He's like, you're so OCD and I can't. It's, well, I don't
0: make fun of you, but you can do. see it. Like, sometimes, sometimes she'll get into a rhythm where like she'll, be, like she'll get a little bit OCD and start cleaning the house. She won't mm-hmm. even know what she's cleaning and mm-hmm. where things are going it's just like it's like almost like on yeah autopilot. And
2: sometimes that's mood management sometimes you're feeling depressed yeah so it's so should, that's a sign yeah. and sometimes anxiety management it might be a sign of that too it's a way of you know sort of discharging and ordering your you know feels better when you do all that not necessarily dysfunctional it's in us it's our biology i mean if you she if you took four hours to get out of the house doing rituals okay now we got a problem but uh, just engaging a little bit of ocd stuff because ocd actually has lots of assets associated with it right she read my book in an afternoon if she needed to study something yeah. i bet she'd be all over it you know that that kind of stuff can work to your benefit too but for me the anxiety that was miserable uh, was largely for me and this is again it's different in different contexts but for me it was because i was unregulated emotionally i was not in touch with my feelings and so and i, and I didn't i wasn't hooked up to them i, I just couldn't quite get there what does that stem from a just dis- not adequate time with mom literally not 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 attunement from the mom and what about so, your father he was okay but it's different it's different and he's a little narcissistic and stuff so he never really really provided that kind of what was needed and uh therapy did it no problem so,
1: so have you had to have conversations with your parents after this or no, has this been something you've come to on nah. your own
2: i mean well they're all gone now but uh, but they were their, their own people. They had their own struggles. You know, my mom had all kinds of stuff and there's no way she could have done what she needed to do as, as a parent. And, when uh, you
1: have empathy and compassion, I think that helps a lot for the parent.
2: Well, f- listen, uh, there's there's two words that when people utter, I know they're doing pretty good emotionally. One is forgiveness, when they can find forgiveness or, or sort of a, a way of understanding other people's experiences, even when those people have been unkind to them. And the other f- word is gratitude. Mm-hmm. If you're feeling grateful for what you have, I know things are going pretty good, because uh, gratitude is a very powerful, very important emotion to have.
1: You talked a couple times about narcissism. Mm. Can you sort of talk about narcissism in 2018? We're, We're all there. We're all there. We're we've all there. We've had a turn.
2: We've had a turn. There's like We're narcissism there. was sort of uncommon. Okay. And it's funny when I was first working in that psychiatric hospital when I was moonlighting moon there as a resident in the early 80s. Um, I, you know, we had these forms that would be in the front of every patient's chart. It would be something called their axes diagnoses. And one of the axes was their personality disorders. And I would see every time I'd look at their chart and there'd be all kinds of personality disorders, you know, these OCD disorders and, uh, dependent personality and all kinds of stuff. And then around 89, 90, I noticed all of a sudden all those other disorders went away and only the, what are called cluster B disorders were on every chart. So that's borderline personality disorder, narcissistic disorder, sociopathic disorder, histrionic So these are all narcissistic disorders. And that's all we saw. And I thought, oh man, this has got to mean something. And people have argued whether or not it was just overdiagnosing or whatever. I think we had a turn. I think there's been a turn. And I think everything we're seeing with our tribalism and the crazy aggression we act out and the expression of, everyone's got envy, Right, you understand the difference between yep. envy and jealousy. Yep. jealousy is, hey, these guys have a cool podcast. Mm, I want that. I'm going to have to go do that. I'm going to work hard and get that. I don't begrudge you having that. I don't want to destroy you for having. Envy is you want to destroy. I got to destroy you because well, you have something. Are I
0: you have. familiar with the the author Robert Greene? Oh yeah. We just had him on the show. Oh my god, week. I want to We're talk to him. Oh my god, I am too. I want to talk oh. to him. Oh my god, he's the we just had uh, a great he just wrote the the yeah. book The Laws of Human Nature yeah. it was fascinating. Yeah. We literally got into envy yeah. and jealousy. You got to have yeah. him
1: on your podcast. I'm going to I,
2: I immediately i heard he's him on the best. else and I set a note up to get him. Get no, him, please get him. He's so fucking smart. Yeah. He talks about
1: all the different like levels of narcissism.
0: Yeah, there are different levels. All the different types, you know. They're different types. How do
1: you deal with someone though that's off the charts narcissistic like you've never seen anything like it? Or do you not deal with them?
2: Better not to deal with them. Okay. That's what he says too. Yeah. There's a book called Why Is It Always About You that tells you how to deal with narcissists in your life, job, relationships, whatever. And yeah, I mean, you're not going to change them. You're, you're not, you got to just sort of know what you're dealing with and be very clear about it.
0: There was a question that came in
2: before you came because we, you know, we always cared
0: to the audience about what sure. they want to hear. There's a do you find it ironic that you guys will be talking about narcissism and we have a podcast and a platform yeah. and you have a show? And yeah, yeah, a, yeah.
2: No, no, it's not ironic. It's, it's, you you got to own your narcissism. <laughs> I, I'm kind of what's called a, rev- or what uh, a guy named, uh, oh crap, what was his name? He was a famous theorist in the 90s. Oh, I can't remember his name, but uh, he called it uh, closet narcissism or reverse narcissism, which is really codependency, right? Codependence. Are all about. I need you to be okay. I need. I got to fix you. Well, why? Really, it's for me. <laughs> I need to fix you, right? That's narcissistic.
1: Oh, wait. So you could even say that that's how it is when you're a parent with an addict.
2: Well, that's codependency, right? Uh, yeah. Exactly so it's right. the
1: same kind of thing. It's like it's exactly they right. they want the the daughter, or the son to yeah. be fixed so they can feel better. Yeah. And that's why they need to go to Al-Anon. Right. Yes. And,
2: and and what, so for me now, I can differentiate between my needs and other people's needs, my feelings and the other person's feelings. I used to see people in pain, like even when I was working in the psychiatric hospital, and I'd have to stop, I'd have to make them better. And I thought because I could feel, I, I understood what they were No, it's because it triggered me. Mm-hmm. It triggered my discomfort I probably have you that tendency. About it the, yeah, it's book. not bad comment. Yeah, about that common. Yeah, I did write about it in the book. Yes. Do if I'm being honest, I probably have that, have that tendency. tendency. It's pretty common. Yeah, you know, that's uh, for sure. Uh, <clears throat> <laughs> al <Al-Nod. laughs>
1: So, uh, So what is a day in the life for you? I mean, you're Oh, now so, it's all so over the place. Yeah, can now you just, like, you're, you're doing your podcast. Do, Are you writing another book? Like, give us. I
2: am working on a book. I, I, I'm sort of, okay. I'm not sure what I'm doing, to tell you the truth. I've, I've declared 2019 the year of action. So I'm just doing whatever, every, I'm filling my day with whatever I can fill it with. I still see patients. I still do medical practice. It's mostly, you know, people, septagenarians, octogenarians, people i follow for 20, 30 years. So I, I I love doing medicine, I could never stop doing that. I, a day doesn't go by that I'm getting a call about an addict or an alcoholic, something to, to help out, to guide people. I'm not doing that work day in day out. I do a radio show on 790 a.m. here in Los Angeles on KBC. That's three hours a day. I work out every day. I what kind of workouts are you doing? I do heavy, heavy weights, lift heavy weights. I do I do a health fitness podcast called Soul Patrol. I okay, do one brother. with Bob Forrest, the guy called uh, This Life You Live. I do. You're uh, putting out
0: a lot of content. Yeah, I do. You I do. do a a, lot of I do.
2: Me and Adam do a show every yeah. day. I do one by myself, and yeah, and I'm gonna do some stuff with Tom Segura on the Your Mom's House platform. Where do you find the time for all of this? It's, this is such a vacation compared to practicing medicine really? full time. You have no idea. When I used, to, I used to get up at five thirty in the morning and struggle to get home by ten at night for years. And that was hard.
1: Okay, I know uh, that Dave talked about your wife and what a great relationship you have, and yeah. we booked this through your wife. So, how did yeah. you guys balance that when you were coming home at ten thirty at night? And I don't being,
2: know how she did it. Yeah, she's a very uh, autonomous person, right? She's very independent. Now, now I get up in her stuff a little bit. And she's like, "Go to work, <laughs> get out of yeah, here. She's like, "What are you doing I'm out like, out here?" I'm like, "If he's, yeah. if he,
1: I'm like, get leave. Yeah. Let yeah. me do my morning routine." Yes. Do, do you have a morning routine?
2: I do, but I mean, it depends. I, everything day is different. Right? Every
1: day is different.
2: Uh, but I try. To at least do thirty or forty minutes. I, my gym is in my garage, okay. And I've got everything there. I've, I've, i That's my spot. And I listen to podcasts and I lift weights just before I get in the car. Well, podcast. Last what what kind of podcast you listen to? I listen to econ. I'm gonna listen to you guys now. I'm gonna to yeah. to get the Robert <laughs> Green thing going immediately. That'll be immediately. Nah, next week or two uh, weeks from now. But I'm no, honestly, that was one of the, the I, one of my favorite interviews. I'm you've ever sure. Done. Well, He's I think I heard him on Rationally Speaking or or uh, there's something about something Inquiring Minds. I think it is. I would listen to Econ Talk. I listened to Sam Harris. I listen yep. to Jordan Peterson stuff. I, those are sort of ones I film. You my...
1: listen to Dave's radio show. <laughs> Who?
2: <Yeah. laughs> well, I'm on Dave's radio show occasionally? Yeah. Sort of remembers me.
0: You ever do Howard anymore?
2: Yeah, I'm going to be, I'll be um, host co-hosting the after show in about three weeks. Oh, wait, for, for I didn't know week.
1: you did stuff with Howard. Oh, you got to
2: get into Stern History. Is he cool? Lauren. Oh I my love god! Him. Oh my god! Love him. He's amazing. Okay, good. And, and you know his. You know've I've been in the main seat three times and I'm gonna tell you I was super clear that his psychoanalysis, his own psychoanalysis, is what he was deploying in following his instincts in his interviewing. Like, I felt like I was on the couch. I felt that, I know what that is when somebody really attunes to you and starts following the feelings and as they interview you, and he does that. In, He's got to be one whole, of the best
0: interviewers of all. He doesn't get but enough now,
2: credit. now, now, and, yeah. and I'm telling you, it's his treatment. I could feel it when I was being interviewed. He does not get enough credit. You're right. He and, does not get enough yeah. credit for how,
0: you know, I was, you know, we run this network, and I always yeah. tell people, it's not, yeah. everyone's like, you know, I'm going to get this guest, or I'm going to get this celebrity. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't move the needle as mm. much as people think. Right. Mm. I'm sure this, I mean, unless it's you, this, this one's going to be mm. massive. But, so. uh, but I tell people, I said, you know, there, I use him as an example and say, the reason people listen to Stern is not because of the guest, is because you're interested in what Stern is going to
2: ask that guest. It, it, it's so it's two things. It's like the, it's like the world's best office soap opera, mm. right? So you're interested in all the guys and yeah. you know, Gary's world, yeah. <laughs> Sal, <laughs> Sal, Richard, Richard all, and everybody and how Richard wiped guy. his ass and then Chris shook my <laughs> hand. Did you hold yeah. that oh thing. yeah that, i forgot about that and
0: richard yeah i forgot about that he wiped his ass and shook your hand because he he was in the bathroom yes and then it was a the whole thing we were
2: walking i was walking out of the bathroom and then he went into the this, this thing and i was back in the green room i'm like oh my god <laughs> his, his his crap hand
1: oh
2: yeah so uh you have to go back on uh the, the howard 101 to find that but i, um, that. I need
1: to i need to but, but the unfair. other thing
2: is not only that you wonder the questions he'll ask I kind of want to know at least how I'm going to feel about that person when it's under Howard's scrutiny because I know I'm going to have a whole different take on that person. You're getting a lot more depth. You're getting the person. When Howard gets his hands on him and he's able to really interview them, I know I'm going to see who this person really is. And and more often than not, their stock goes up in my eyes. Lindsay was,
1: Lohan, though, wouldn't give him anything. I I, was, uh, I I, I, She didn't give him anything. No, I know.
2: I know. She, she's
1: so media trained or she's not maybe like...
2: I don't know what that was. Yeah,
1: it was. it's it, almost like she has a guard up over her. There
2: was a guard. And I think
0: I, the media has been really yeah. cruel to her
1: yeah. over the
2: yeah. years. Her and and I, we don't know what kind of treatment she's been in recent years and whether there's medicines maybe blocking. I don't know. But whatever, she's better. Let's be fair. Yeah. She's a lot better. And so I sort of took, I sort of took a pass on that one and said, man she's better. I don't want, to de- wouldn't want her destabilized. I'm sure Howard feels the same way.
1: If there's one celebrity that you could help right now and really, and meet with and really give them the care you think they need, who would it be?
2: Some of it I can't tell you about because I'm sort of involved with stuff on a level that, you know, but, but a, a, an easy one for me would be that I, I have a great feeling for Artie. I love Artie. Yeah. Would want to,
0: well, the reason you know, I ask know, is, sure is that I know, okay. I know your history and I'm I'm a huge Stern fan. Mm. I You know, even back from the days when he was on E, you know, yeah. we grew up watching and then I would drive back and forth to Arizona and just listen to all his stuff when Artie was on the show and all that. So that, that's why I asked because I knew that you might have some insight. But
2: No, I, I helped Artie a bit along the way there and uh that he had a horrible time the time before (laughs) and then he seemed better and now something's going on so poor guy
1: would you recommend therapy to everyone sure everyone sure you well, think? not
2: everyone needs it. I mean, I mean, fifty percent of us really need it. Yeah. Uh, but the, that narcissistic turn, I think, is because we've had a style of parenting that's not been fully attuned and fully—I um, don't know what word—fulfilling. I guess would be the word. You know, fully, Wait, fully. Okay.
1: Here's what. Here's a question I have. At what point does it become? that you're you're, you're blaming your parents everything. yeah and, nah, and like nah, and nah, you're ta- you're taking the victim if around. you
2: feel grateful and you're forgiving everybody you're not blaming anybody yeah. you're just it's just what happened to me and it's you know it's left me with a little thing and I to need to fill that and that's what This is a topic that
0: comes up pretty frequently on this show, talking about, you know, like victimizing, yeah. saying like, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about simple example, like, oh, this person has this because they're, they had this upbringing or, you know, I would be there if I had that same, yeah. like, how do you feel about that mentality? And would you, yeah, how do you kind of combat that? It's
2: a little dangerous, right? Because plenty of people go through bad things and end up amazing, right? And so a friend of mine, uh, a guy named Wes Chapman, he's got a website out there uh, called Waking the Hero. And he went through all horrible abuse and we i think at age 10 he tried to commit suicide 15 times or something and like really like for real so and at like 11 or 12 or something he woke up went this this wasn't supposed to be my life and he started embracing treatment and getting better and doing and now he's just this amazing human being right so it's it's possible to get better and to be part of the solution and when you and when you're you know better or when it doesn't have a horrible effect on you you feel fairly uh, sorry for bad about the people that mistreated you because, you know, they're equally injured and horrible and must be miserable. And you feel grateful for what you got and you feel forgiving or at least if I'm just thinking about my own stuff, I, I'm not forgiving because it's not OK to treat children that way. It's just not OK at all. But it's like mm, it's the best you could do. What do you do as, as
1: a parent when you've had this this mistrust in your childhood, and now you ha- now you're parenting a triplets, which is crazy. Yeah. Like, how how did you try to be a better parent than your mom was to you? Uh,
2: just try to be present. Yeah. Yeah. Just be, it's very simple. You just be there. And my daughter was busting my balls the other day that I wasn't around enough because I was workaholic. Yeah. So there was my version of what I did wrong. Yeah. You know what's yeah.
0: happening now though? It's parents are there, but they're on this.
2: Yeah. And yeah. people, I'm no, holding attune. up my phone. We are not good at attuning to one another. You got to really attune and really listen and really be present. And there's a lot of parenting that's about making kids feel better or have esteem. And stuff. That's not the job. That's not the job. The job is to be there, attuned to the child, while the child struggles with regulating their emotions and builds their esteem and builds their sense of themselves. Your job is not to dictate it or rescue them from what their feelings are, because then they lose the opportunity to to regulate
1: would you still call yourself a workaholic?
2: I mean, he's doing 15 shows. Yeah. A day. I, I, well, I, I tend to workaholism, but I don't have. I never have dread. I never feel out of control. I really love what I'm doing. I feel grateful all the time. If all that stuff went away, then I'd be like, OK, watch out. You
0: know, I just got in an argument with my mother. She's probably going to be mad if she hears this. Because she was saying that, you know, Michael, it's not all about work. And all this, but I was telling her, I was like, you know, I, I understand being a workaholic. But I also, there's the other side that I really enjoy what i right, do. doing. You love your work. It's hard. It doesn't feel, I feel like, like I would be it. on, like, she's like, hey, you know, go home, take it easy for four hours. Right? I was like, I, would, I wouldn't I would be happy. I don't think I would be, at
2: least at this stage of my life. I've been a workaholic that experienced dread r- yeah. for years, by the way, where I was just, I was just, uh, I was on a mill and I, was, I couldn't get off of it. And, you know, sort of, uh, it's interesting, you know, one of the, one of the things that makes people happy, right? Happiness is an interesting topic is um, being able to be of service to other people. And and I always had skill where I could help people and do things for people. And I almost, I think I overindulged in it. I didn't know it was possible to do too much of it. I did it. And and so- You talked
1: about that in your book a lot.
2: Yeah, I'm grateful that I could do that, but I overdid it. I overdid it.
0: Like this stuff's exciting to me because I feel like there's certain people that could listen and actually get a benefit, you know, like me, me going and like doing some closing, some big deal somewhere like that doesn't get me as excited as doing stuff But you should know
2: that there's something about, I I fully support your position and it's it's true, but, but there is something about one human in the frame with another human that is fulfilling in a way that other things are not. So look, look for those opportunities, yep. I would say. You don't have to do it all the time like I did. Just look for an opportunity. Uh, for
1: what it. about guilt? Out of all the emotions that I have, that I don't know if it's negative, but the negative emotions I have, guilt is huge for me. Do you have yeah. any advice she, she, for people that are dealing with there's guilt? There's a lot of guilt. Yeah.
2: Are you guilt? Uh, I'm, I'm trying to figure out a way to explain this. Are you, are you When you feel guilty, are you shattered by it? And so you avoid it at all costs? And, Ooh, so that's mo- a good and so most of the time you don't feel guilty, you spend more of your time being perfect, so you don't feel guilty. Uh. <laughs>
1: um,
2: now we're getting into it, Dr. Oh, Drew. Oh my god.
1: Yeah, I think that my thing, I did um, I did like a course with someone, and my thing was like the way I got attention when I was little was right. was what I perceived as perfect and an over Um but I think the guilt maybe comes from obviously with what happened with my mom, but yeah. it's something that I still feel every single day. Like I feel guilt when I can't be in more than one place. I feel guilt when I have to work. And and it's I always just feel that emotion a lot. And yeah. I don't know how to deal with She'll it. She'll
0: feel guilty even if like maybe like something happens, like something good happens for her right. brand and it's progress. So, progr- so, so,
2: so here, here's what it feels like to me. And I'm pretty good at sort of feeling people's stuff. Is the perfectionism is one piece. Uh, and part of that perfectionism is never wanting to let people down or feel guilty or you want to be perfect, right? And then lo and behold, in spite of that, your mom committed suicide. And so that guilt... Of not being there or being somewhere else and not being able to be in two places at once and being around her and being for her, but whatever that craziness yeah. spin is, is is with you. It's unresolved grief, is really what that is, right?
1: So, what do you do? You go to therapy.
2: Yeah, it'd be pretty easy to get through that. You'll I have think. to tell
1: me who your therapist is off air. Okay. I feel like if, you, I feel, I, if Dr. Drew's therapist, I bet, is a real killer. I,
2: I've got some, I've got some out this way too, so okay. I've got things in my back pocket. Okay. But 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 it but I, I see the pain that it even talking about it 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 so that's with you yeah. to this moment and i don't think that's really guilt you think I, it's grief I, I think it's grief yeah, but but maybe. that but that the oh um, sorry
1: no, it's okay. Yeah. It's that's maybe what it is. I,
2: it, but but it but it's attached to your perfectionism and all that stuff. It's it's gotten attached to that somehow. But really, it's the grief, I think. Okay, all right. So, so it's, th- it's, left, it's left a piece. So if you, left...
1: if you're like me and you have guilt as one of your main emotions, and, and so maybe you need let to me deal just say, grief.
2: So part of I have this weird because I can because this is all developed with me, and I, I see I can't believe drug I can't listen to what drug addicts say. I have to like sit in the frame and feel what they're feeling and yeah. stuff. So I get pretty good at that. Your mom would be so pissed, would hate it to know that you were feeling this. Yeah. She'd be so pissed. Yeah. So, come on now. Yeah. Right?
1: I got to deal with the grief, mm-hmm. it sounds like. Mm-hmm. That's the foundation That's Yeah, She'd be pissed, right? She'd yeah. Be, she'd be yeah, she'd be so pissed.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: What is a book, a resource, a podcast that you can recommend to our audience? And it could be someone that's dealing with addiction in their family, um, or maybe mental health. Just one thing that you would leave them with that's really life-changing.
2: A podcast
1: could be a podcast, could be a book, could be um. There, an there is article. not one
2: thing. There's not one thing, and it's different for different people.
1: It sounds like uh, Al Anon and and the twelve step is big for you.
2: Big because it works. Yeah, uh, a lot of work. It's very hard. It's Very difficult for people. But but uh, I, I would I you're I'm feeling a little overwhelmed with the task you've given me. Yeah. Except to say that um, do it every day. Read, listen to podcasts. Do, think about things pay attention try to learn always learn always learn always grow and then if you have stuff that's you know still digging at you emotionally go, go get treatment it's not a big deal
1: yeah how often do you recommend therapy
2: i i don't know I, it's, I, it's different a, all around yeah. kind of I, my out. guess is you may want to go a couple times a week for a little while just a couple to, times for a little week. while for a little while oh like by little God. while i mean like a few weeks to get because okay. it, it feels like something somebody's got to jump on.
1: That sounds heavy. Yeah. Okay. All yeah, right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Because it is heavy. That, okay. That's why I'm saying that.
1: But it's important to deal with because if you yeah, don't deal with it. And then, it may, and it,
2: then it may sort of be over, right? Yeah. It may be kind of. There's yeah. a lot of people. It can be a that, pretty quick thing, yeah. this kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. You
0: know? We try to always, like, you know, there's a lot of people looking to externals to, you know, fix issues or problems or, yeah. you know, and yes. there's a there's very little actually looking internal. Yes. Right? It, it,
2: it, let me. Let me. No, I'm trying, you you asked such a huge question. And I, I, let me just say, the answer is other human beings. Whatever, whatever question you have, the answer is other people. Happiness, fulfillment, meaning, it's all about others. That's the way we're constructed giving. as human beings. Giving, being around. around, participating with, being part of, whatever it is it's all about other people, everything. I mean, think of your podcast It's just, you're interviewing people, right? Yeah. And it's, and we're talking about people's experiences. And
1: even more than that, what, what makes me happy is that there's valuable takeaways from the podcast that we have that the audience can go and apply to their own yeah, life.
2: So you're helping people. Right. Yeah. And that, that is, you know, whenever we look at the great myths or some of the great philosophers, they always come to that same conclusion, like take care of your own garden, be of service to your community. Yeah. You know, be around people. Be helpful. Be Tony
1: Robbins ask.
2: <laughs> well, I I don't.
1: don't
0: uh oh, we hit a
2: chord. <laughs> no, I'm just saying I don't I don't I, that stuff to me is so transient. I, I I'm looking for stuff that's more substantial, permanent, meaningful. You know, go go read philosophy and you know read the great works and it's all in there.
1: We're big readers of Stoicism.
2: Oh yeah, all the Stoics. Yep, Seneca's Dude, well, my favorite. Well, have you, uh, you, my buddy Ryan Holiday? You've got a, <laughs> oh Got him on the show. <laughs> <laughs> you've got it. You've got it. Good. Do you
0: him. know what's funny? We have had him on the show, and he you didn't know, mention me. No, well, it was it was a while ago. It was a while? I'm the one that got him into Stoicism. Uh, you don't know this? No, I actually what? do. No, yeah. do you know what? Actually, I do know this. And you yeah. know what's funny? And you, I think you probably know this right yeah. now, but Robert Greene was his mentor.
2: I did not know that. So
0: Ryan menteed under uh, under Robert for uh, years. And, oh, my
2: God. That's, that's crazy. We're actually working on... Wait, uh,
1: you got him into stoicism. I did. You have to tell us more about it's that. It's pretty
2: simple. I was, doing a, I was doing something for somebody, and I was at a college event, and I was talking to the college journalist, and he came up to me afterwards. He goes, what are you doing? What are you reading? And I go... You know, I don't know. I'm, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a nut. I read, I read, read, read. And I, I'm right now I'm reading this guy Epictetus and trying to understand Stoic philosophy. You might look at it. It's kind of interesting stuff. And he went and did it and just kept going. <laughs> it became yeah. Ryan Holiday. And now he's going. Uh, now he's a Stoist, oh, Stoic. Stoic. crap. Epictetus, yeah. had it, he had it kind of rough, that guy. He did. And yeah. I'm not, I'm not, at that point I was a bit of a fan. I'm not a fan presently. Really? Oh. Who do you yeah. like better? Or do, you, or do you not like a, um, kind of Marcus Stoic? Aurelius probably I like Seneca uh, Seneca, for sure yeah. um, but i but i what i do is i more listen to stoics like Ryan and Massimo and guys like that and uh, he, i like their version of the application it's such an applied philosophy it's yeah. not a, it's not a good it, it's not a cohesive system of philosophy it's like a way of you living you actually
0: really. t- take action on some of those philosophies it, yeah.
2: with with uh, with Seneca particularly and again, Marcus Aurelius but but with um Epictetus, it, it was too much, you know, accept everything in your life. And, you know, if you feel bad about it, that's on you. Well, you're
0: <laughs> so, talking about a guy that was imprisoned or whatever, you know, enslaved he, he, and imprisoned. So he might have had a different perspective than he the He absolutely Rome, did. I know. get it. And yeah. that's
2: how he managed that. Yeah. And, and that's a good way to manage that. <laughs> but I'm not yeah. sure it's a good way to manage average life. So Dr. Drew,
1: you're can amazing. We we can I mean, keep wait, no, no,
2: no, we can keep talking? We can
0: keep talking. No, no, no. We could keep talking. We can keep talking. I mean, shit. You know now that, because, now that, you know, we we always are cognitive people's um, time and schedule, but we're having fun here. Yeah, so, right, right. Yeah. okay. Yeah. There's, there's actually, there's another thing I wanted to ask you. Mm. So we had an individual on this podcast that practice open relationships. Mm. Ooh,
1: this is a good question. Here's here here we... the bottom line.
0: <laughs>
2: I, oh, a, just... a, a, a peace and love, peace and love. Yeah, yeah, right. so, <laughs> but how how we... That's a code for me.
0: How does that... Like what's the psychology and how does that work and like how does that play out
2: over time right, here's the here's the bottom line and th- i'm very simple on this which is peace and love i hope they enjoy themselves i don't care th- whatever they can enjoy they can have multiple i, I don't care i really don't care well neither do we but all i know is that there are armies of professionals just trying to get two people to have an okay relationship. You bring in another person, (laughs) it becomes, just one more person, it becomes exponentially more complex. And my experience has been, even in people that claim to be in these wonderful polyamory things, there's always unhappiness when when you close the door and talk to some of the people and there's always a meltdown down the line that well, has to be dealt with
0: i just kind of like look at it as like, okay maybe i'm with lauren and then with someone else like what you know okay I'm like, say, thank you for your time today girl over here i'm going back to lauren like what happens to her now or well, same thing if lauren was with it, someone else what happens to him it's not
2: intimacy you can't you can't spread real intimacy around it's hard to do that we're just not wired for that And so if you are avoidant of intimacy and you don't, you know, then, okay, then you can have pieces of yourself here and there and hide parts of yourself and not be fully present and open in a relationship because you're just kind of, you're one thing and one thing and one thing and another. And God bless you if that's how you manage your relationships. But man, my experience has been that tends not to go well. And usually it's somebody complying with somebody else's wishes that they get into these things. That's
0: kind of what I got from that um, interview. Playing off that, that what about
1: people that cheat? Like uh, the, the Ashley Madison scandal that yeah, happened. Very
2: common. Cheating's very common. So I, it common. It makes, makes me sad. Are
1: they cheating? Like, what is the reason that they're cheating? Is there one reason or is it a nah, medley?
2: E- medley. I mean, men are cheating. Women are cheating often because they're not getting emotional needs met. You know, the, and men are cheating because they are not They're animals. They're, they're not really. They just, yeah. It, it's more sexual, physical. Uh, how does
1: it end up normally?
2: How does it end up?
1: Yeah. Always in disaster.
2: No, No. not always, but it's, it's, again, it diminishes the relationship and, you know, and people usually kind of know something's going on. They feel, they usually blame themselves or they feel something and it makes you a little crazy. If you feel like something's up and you don't know what it is and then the partner doesn't come clean about it, it can pass over time. It can, and it can pass even when the patient, the other person becomes presents it and there can be forgiveness but it, it changes things it does change things either but,
1: way with your wife and you said you were home at 10 30 at night yeah. i mean i can only imagine you working all day working mm-hmm. for other people helping other people and then coming home and being married and having to turn that intimacy card on mm-hmm. whether it's um you know sexual or romantic or whatever how did you guys maintain that flame when you were working your ass off
2: it wasn't hard for me i don't she's never said is she will have you have to talk to her I mean, for me, I was, when you're workaholism, you're just in it. And, and, and when we had the kids and stuff, I felt like I was spending more time at home. I felt like I was around a lot, even though my family tells me I wasn't. Um, so I don't know. You know, and we were in a survival mode a lot of early part of our marriage on, on two fronts. You know, me working so much and trying to survive financially and then trying to survive three kids simultaneously. I mean, that, that happened in our first year of marriage and triplets like, in the first year yeah Holy so we shit. were into survival mode almost immediately so we went from this couple that were traveling and having fun enjoying each other to this like oh man we got to survive this and uh, and it took about five years to get over that hump
1: three kids at once yeah. three newborns in at the one. year, that year one gnarly. Yeah, that's crazy
2: it was, it was gnarly. Well, like
1: what it, like what my I hair don't... turned
2: gray it was that color <laughs> the year one it turned gray that is gnarly year.
1: three three crying babies yeah. did you yeah. guys have help
2: Oh yeah, you had to. You had to, you had to. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. And and you know, it's very stressful. I can't even talk about it anymore. But when we um had we became pregnant triplets, the obstetrician set us down and said, "Don't do this. Have twins. We'll reduce." They called selective reduction. And we were like, and they and they, he handed me all this data. It's like the marriages don't last. The kids have emotional problems. He goes, "I'll get you three healthy babies, but don't do this. Don't do this. This is not advisable." And so we went. We spent a weekend. The, the Dana Point Ritz Carlton, you know, just, just locked herself in the room. I was like, "What do we do? What do we do? What do we do?" And finally, I I felt like a poker player took all the chips, just went all in. We're just we're just all in with this. We can't we can't do this. We can't yeah. do it. Uh, and we just both committed completely, you know, everything we had, and it worked out for us.
1: And now, where are your kids? They're at college. I think you said in your you book.
2: graduate schools and stuff. You know, they went to great colleges. Any doctors? No,
1: no doctors. No. No. no, anyone want to be in addiction?
2: No, no, no. They, they saw how tough that work was. And they don't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, no way.
1: So if you were to recommend to our audience one book, because I know you've written a couple of where to start, would you say to start it? Cracked?
2: I, that's the book I love the most.
1: OK, yeah. I really like that. The book, Narcissism
2: book is a little outdated right now. So I am I'm, I'm you go to my website. I've got a ton of stuff there. I've I want it the, right now. I've got the history of the opium addiction crisis. I've got I'm going to write a series on narcissism. I'm working on that right now. So I'm going to write an updated thing about narcissism. You
1: should write it with Robert green together mm. i bet you wrote a book for 50 cents you you and robert green is like dream collab yeah I would, because it's, you've got the doctor expert mm-hmm. and, and someone that's been through the addiction and all these different behaviors. And then you have someone like Robert who is so, you know, Thoughtful. smart with yeah. history and, and he's such a good writer and he puts it in layman's terms. That would be a fucking I'm gonna I'm
2: going to go bug Ryan about that. His
1: yes. books
0: yeah. are books that I told, and I told him this when I when we interviewed yeah. him, they're books that you don't just read, but they like get inside you and yeah. you have to study them. It's just, I don't. It, he did like the 24
2: incri- ways of human nature or something. Uh, yeah. He did that just yeah. recently. He did yeah. the 48 laws of power. He you know, also He also said on this
1: podcast that he likes writing books with people that you wouldn't expect him to write a book with. So maybe like someone like that. Put in a good
2: word for me. Yeah,
1: I think you and Robert Greene. Let's do it. I'd be into that. Where can everyone find you? Pimp yourself out.
2: Go to my website. That's everything. Okay, drdrew.com. And at
1: drdrew, right? For Insta? Uh,
2: Yeah. No, uh, Instagram is drdrewpinski. der Pinsky. Pinsky. But uh, Twitter is at Drew. Love it, and uh, yeah. Thank you
1: so much for taking the time. This is fun.
2: Was fun. Open yeah. invitation.
1: Come on anytime. Sorry,
2: it took so long to book. That was that's okay. On no, no, no.
1: That's everyone. That's mm-hmm. everyone. It okay. takes a long time. We'll to take book. it
2: into consideration when we're doing the boat list. Uh, this yeah. Year. Uh, <laughs> no, blame your friends, Krista and Dave for Krista that.
1: Krista and Dave,
2: whom, who used to be my friends, whom I will never forgive. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you for all taking right. the time. You bet. Thanks, Doctor Drew. Your support is what keeps this show going, you guys, and we're always looking to see what guests that you want on the show. So. Would love to know who you want to see. Tag someone that you want to see on my latest Instagram. And if we pick the person that you've recommended, I will send you some TSC swag. Some stickers, pop socket, maybe a bookmark. I'll DM you, drop in your DMs and surprise you. Definitely let us know who you want to see. Just tag them on my latest Instagram. Get creative with it. If this show has brought you guys any kind of value, please make sure you're subscribed and you've rated the show on iTunes Thank you again always for your support, and we'll see you next Tuesday. This episode is brought to you by Ritual. You guys know I'm a human guinea pig, and I'm still here taking Ritual and loving it. It's filled with iron, vitamin E, magnesium, folate, and omega-3 kind of everything. It's made in the USA without synthetic fillers. 95% of women do not get the vitamins and minerals they need on a daily basis. So Ritual created a smarter vitamin with the nine essential ingredients women lack most. Go to ritual.com slash skinny today to choose clean ingredients backed by science. Sign up now at ritual.com slash skinny.